uh, asked me to share with you guys this morning. He told me that I had about two hours, but I'm going to try to keep it about 30 minutes for you. So uh, don't worry. Uh, we'll, we'll be out of here before lunch. Uh, I, I realized, and um, I was speaking with someone yesterday, and uh, they, they told me that they haven't, weren't here when I first started working here. They didn't get a chance to meet me, uh, talk to me about who I am. So I want to share a little bit about myself. Um, before we get into the message. Um, I'm originally born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, not too far from here, and uh, went to college at Temple University, got my engineering degree, um, and just really experienced a lot of things during that time, um, some depression and anxiety, and uh, just things that really um, shook my faith, um, and I had a lot of questions. And so during that time, I really um, got to um, just really experience God in a whole new way. And I just asked him, if there's more for me in this life, then I ask that you just reveal that to me. And so six months after graduation, I started working full-time um, in ministry at Camp Bethel in Wise, Virginia. And I spent 10 years there, um, actually affiliated with them longer uh, than that. I actually was a camper. Um, started that 21 years ago, um, and that is when I met Bob. One of Bob's kids in his youth group was my youth pastor, so we got to um, meet up with his youth group and uh, just get together at camp and just really enjoy a week of, of fun and, and being in God's Word together. Um, so it's really kind of come around full circle. As I, When I left camp, Bob contacted me and said, hey, we'd love to have you on board. And so here I am standing before you, and uh, it's, I'm humbled and, and just thankful to be here with you all, and uh, thank you for uh, inviting me and welcoming me into your family. So if you would, we'll get started. Uh, we'll be in the book of First John, obviously. Um, if you look at your handouts or your outlines that were given in the bulletins, um, you'll notice there are quite a few points, um, and there are, I gave you scriptures for each one. Um, and so for the last couple months, Pastor Bob has been taking us on a methodical journey through the book of 1 John. We've been dissecting John's writings almost verse by verse and looking at the core of what it means to have fellowship with God and with one another in Christ. And working through the better part of the first two chapters so far, we've come across two important truths about the nature of God. Namely, God is, uh, God is light and God is love. To review really quick, we've come to know that these characteristics of God are the essence of God. God is light. He himself is light and in him there is no darkness. God reveals to us himself and beckons us to come and seek him. And in seeking him, drawing closer to the light, it has revealed to us truths and the sin that we are living in. His light is a cleansing light, a purifying light, where it reveals to us what is hindering us from living a righteous life and having fellowship with him. And moving further into the light, the darkness cannot follow, and so we move into a new realm, a new world, so to speak. We're encouraged to leave behind the darkness in which we have been walking in, 
to confess our sin, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive. How do we know that? We know because we have an advocate, his son, Jesus Christ, the one who was sent from on high to take, a human, take on human form and take the penalty of our sin unto himself. We learn that Jesus Christ was appointed to us by the Father, who is also the judge, and thus becomes the atonement needed to pay the ransom price for our sins. It is through Jesus in which we are purified. We have an assurance by walking in the light, a hope that we will be made complete in him by obeying his commands. In the last couple of weeks, we've been spending time understanding the second characteristic of God, that God is love. That in, that in Christ and through Christ, we can love in a supernatural way by being obedient to Christ's commands and following his example we have the potential to love others in the same manner that Christ loves us. His love should define us. When others see us, they should be able to see Christ in us and through us. As we saw last week, we're encouraged not to love the world, at least not as the world calls us to love it, but as Christ calls us to love it. So we may wonder, what is this all leading to? Why is John taking us on this little theological journey in 1 John? And I want to be able to take today and move a step back and be able to look at 1 John from an aerial view and answer that question. We have been in the thick of 1 John for a few weeks and we have, may have forgotten or overlooked what 1 John is about or where John is leading us in his letter to the church. For a moment... Let us take a little trip above the canopy and look at the overall issue John is contesting and what it means for us today. John does not immediately give us an audience for the first of his three epistles. Some interpret that the apostle was writing to the Jewish Christians of the day, but a majority of scholars and early theologians have gathered that John was writing to both Jew and Gentile Christians alike. John's letter is quite different from most of the other epistles. It is non-linear in thought, but is packed with much doctrinal substance, ethical challenge, and de devotional fervor as many of the other apostles' writings surrounding John's letters. His writings are in a spiraling structure in which he writes about a particular topic, and then he returns to it later. This is so because 1 John does not seek to prove anything but rather, by repetition, it seeks to increase our adherence to the truths that already have been known to us. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 7. That is not a new command, but an old command that we've known from the beginning. John calls his audience, which includes ourselves, back to three basic Christian life, uh, basics of the Christian life. The first being true doctrine, the second being obedient living, and the third being fervent devotion. The big question here is why. The letter is written to contest the claims of the heretics, which provides interesting insights into their identity. According to 1 John 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 19, the opponents had been members of the Christian community, but now withdrawn to propagate their own beliefs. For example... The series of if clauses in the last chapter, last half of chapter 1 imply that the group was teaching the impossibility 
of walking in fellowship with God who is in light. That there is no freedom from the practice of sin and that there is no forgiveness and cleansing from sin. The major Christological error of the heretics was a denial of the humanity of Christ with the implication that he was not the Messiah. The false spirits in the world can be identified by their confession of Jesus or lack thereof. John shares with us in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. The opening verse of the letter also sharply contests the denial of Jesus' humanity. The liar is identified in chapter 2, verse 22, as the one who denies that Jesus is a Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. The practical outcome of these positions was a moral irresponsibility that advocated a life of sin and disregard for others. John, therefore, needs to call these apostates back to a life of ethics and brotherly love in Christ, as well as encourage his brothers and sisters and his children to continue their faith in Christ and not adhere to the system of the world which Bob touched on last week. So, let us take a look at truths in which John delivers and identifies as observable fruit in a Christian's life. I've outlined these for you in your handout, as I said earlier, and each one has its corresponding verses that are in 1 John. So we'll start um, with point number one, which he calls us to practice truth and righteousness. As stated earlier, John is recalling truths already held. These are not new commands, but ones that they, the church, have known from the beginning. We see in verse 6 of chapter 1, John does not merely ask the brothers and sisters to remember the truth, but to practice the truth. It is an echo of a widely known passage from James. We are not only to be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. James likens this to one looking in a mirror, seeing oneself and then just walking away, forgetting that you have looked at, not taking into consideration if anything is wrong or needs to be corrected. That's how we are called to live out our lives in Christ. We adhere to the truths learned to us. We don't just listen to it, but apply it, so that when we walk out into the world every day, we represent Christ to the best of our abilities. In my years as a child, I always remembered my mother checking my hair. Now that sounds funny, um, but when I was younger, I actually had a part in my hair, so part of it was combed one way and the other the other. And so if I did not check myself, I'd walk out of the house looking like alfalfa from the Little Rascals, my hair pointing up. And it was always inevitable that she would do the mom thing and fix my hair with a little bit of saliva, which was always embarrassing. But this is how we're called to live to check ourselves, to look in the mirror and see if there's anything that we need to correct and to fix um, <clears throat> before we walk out into the world. Ephesians 6 calls us to what? Put on the full armor of God. It's a daily thing. When we get ready in the morning, we don't just throw something together and leave out. We try to look 
the best that we can to be presentable. And the same in our Christian walk. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. He is righteousness, and in him there is no wrong, no sin. When we enter into relationship with the Almighty, we enter into a new realm. We pass from dark into light. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 we are, says that we are deemed new creatures. The old is gone and the new has come. We experience a new birth, hence the term of being a born-again Christian. With that, we are born into righteousness. We are now bent to strive for right living, to pursuing the advancement of God's truth in our own lives. John warns us here not to be deceived. The enemy masquerades himself in light to pull us away from the light. How do we not be deceived? It says in 1 John, by hearing the word of God and putting it into practice. Don't walk out of the house without checking yourself. Ask God to recall his truth in your life that you may remember to act accordingly. James continues in his passage on hearing and doing by saying that if we're not careful to do what the truth says, not forgetting what we have heard, then God will bless us for doing it. He ends the passage in describing things that we can do as caring, such as things as caring for the orphans, caring for the widow, and lastly, refusing to let the world corrupt you. That last piece sounds familiar, doesn't it? Pastor Bob spoke on the world system last week on what we should and shouldn't love about the world. So how do we refuse to allow the world to corrupt us? That brings us to point number two where he calls us to walk in the light as he walks in the light. John beckons us to walk in the light. If Christ walked in the light, how much more should we? In doing so, we are cleansed from all sin. So growing up in Philadelphia, um, in my summers growing up, I used to work with my dad. Um, I started at a young age, and I would just, you know, do simple things, pick up trash, get tools that were needed, so forth. Um, and with that, it took us all over the city. Um, so we knew a lot about Philadelphia and, and where to go, where not to go, especially uh, for me, I think that's what aided me in being the the food person that I am. We could tell you where all the good food spots were in Philadelphia. Um, but we also knew where to go and not to go. We knew the places that we needed to stay away from, especially when it came to nighttime. The neighborhood I grew up wasn't particularly the nicest neighborhood. And so when night, fall, when night fell, we were called inside weren't allowed to be outside. Uh, in fact, um, it wasn't unusual for us to go to bed and hear the sirens from police cars or the wail of an ambulance. You just didn't know what was going to be lurking around the corner, what would be around the next street. Our lives are similar, is it not? Each one of us knows the things that we struggle with and cause us to act unchristlike and so when we're in the light we're able to see that clearly we know in participating in such activities or acting in certain ways is not 
becoming of the one in whom we claim allegiance with. The best part, the best part is knowing that if we stick to walking in him, that we would beware of not just our surroundings, but ourselves as well. We can stroll confidently in the light, knowing where we are and how we should walk. We understand that walking in the light allows us to be cleansed. Will we trip and stumble? No doubt. But look at the exciting part of walking in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and we walk in the same way as Christ walked. We have help, and we have a great example. Yesterday morning was a beautiful example of that. We held a men's breakfast in which we had 17, 18 men come and share a meal together, talk together, and briefly be encouraged by God's word. We had men of all ages and different walks of life at different stages in life. We had one another to walk with and a great example in Christ to look at and allow to influence us in our way. Brings us to our third point. Confess sins and have forgiveness. I won't go too much into this. I'll touch really brief on, uh, touch on this point as Pastor Bob has spent some time spending, expounding on the text John gives us on confessing and having forgiveness. I do want to remind you that we need to understand that confessing is coming into agreement with God on what is wrong, what we have done wrong, and that is by way of his truth that is revealed to us. In agreeing with God on what we have done wrong, we move on to correct it, but we cannot do it on our own. It is not in our power to do so. Thankfully, we have an advocate who has become the atonement for our sins, Jesus Christ. He stands before the Father and presents us as righteous. He declares us to be in right standing with the Father and that we are pardoned. It is by the blood of Jesus in which we could even stand in the presence of God, the Father. God no longer sees our name on the docket, but the name of his precious son, Jesus, and we're dismissed. He keeps no record of our wrongs. He does not dredge up past sins. It is removed from us as far as the east is from the west. He is faithful and just. He honors that we have, been accept, that we have accepted his son as our eternal savior and salvation. That brings us to point four, that we are to keep and obey his commandments. Keep and obey his word. Confessing and understanding that we are forgiven moves us to keep and obey his commandments. We are conscious of his love for us and for the great price that Christ has paid to allow us to be in right standing with the Father. We come to the knowledge that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. We cannot live life according to our own plans and ideologies. It just doesn't work. John understands this, and in so he is calling the church to keep and obey the commandments of God. This is one of several triplets in the book of John, uh, one of several thoughts that John comes to, leaves, and then comes back to later on in his book. Remember, John is not speaking linearly in his letter. He doesn't have a systematic flow to his writings. He is bouncing from one idea to another, but comes back around to his thoughts, tying, in all, tying it all into one another. 
helping us to understand how things work together and that the truth isn't just a set of points to follow, but more so a lifestyle. We must work on the complete package. Again, we don't leave the house wearing mismatched items of clothing. We put together a complete look. And so we have another piece of the wardrobe to consider. The idea of light and love flow all throughout this text, and we see that in the passage being considered about keeping and obeying his commands. Several things to touch on here. The first being that we show we abide in him, and him in us is uh, by keeping and obeying his commands. We accomplish what is pleasing to him. Pastor Bob talked about loving one another and loving the world. How can we do that? By keeping God's commands. We see in chapter 1, verse 5, that if we keep his commands, that his love is made perfect in us. By following his example and walking in the light with him, we are made complete. We know that he abides in us by the spirit which dwells within us. At the moment of our conversion, of our acceptance of his free gift of salvation, his spirit comes and makes residence in our hearts and lives. He is there now in all of us, not more in one than the other, but equally in all of us. He speaks to us, but it's up to us to listen to him. We often get distracted by so much that is going on in our life around us that we often drown him out. Sometimes uh, we're prompted to, to do certain things. The question is, will you listen and will you obey? I know for me, uh, oftentimes I'm pushed to anger and frustration, but I have a decision to make on whether, we're going to res whether I'm going to respond or simply react on impulse. <clears throat> Obviously, Responding is the more favorable. I need to respond. Again, this caused me to recall James, where he tells us to be slow to speak and slow to anger. But what? Quick to listen. We're to slow down, assess the situation, and respond accordingly. And this is the Spirit working in us. This is the love of God shown through us. It is not burdensome, and in fact, I would argue that it creates less of a burden in our life. When we react on impulse, we tend to create a bigger burden to carry and handle. Yet, if we stop for a moment to consider what has been said or done, to consider the person in front of us and what they may be going through, we can quickly come to a response that will show love, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, grace, peace, and so forth. His commandments are not burdensome to us. Next, John calls us to love one another, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the greatest commands is to love one another, to want, love one another as he loves us, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This isn't easy. It proves to be very difficult. We're humans. We're messy. We bring baggage to the table. Well, I know for myself, I try to hide it sometimes. We put it away in hopes that no one will see it. Why? 
We put it away so that we think we can gain the affection from others, to feel wanted and to be a part of something, a part of someone's life. But that's the thing. We're not perfect. And in that imperfectness, God said, I love you so much, I'm willing to give myself for you. In our darkest hour, in our dirtiest mess, in our deepest hole, God came down in human form to rescue us, to redeem us, to cleanse us. We sing that song from time to time, Reckless Love. And in fact, when I was writing this section, that song came, was playing on my Spotify playlist. Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. We're in constant need of a reminder that God loves us just as we are. He loves us so much that he doesn't want us to remain the way we are. We sang this morning, Oh, how I need you. He doesn't just uh, want us to remain the way we are, and that is why it isn't just a pat on the back. It isn't just a kiss on our boo-boo. It isn't just wiping the dirt off our face or bandaging our scrapes. He cleanses us completely. He removes the sin and iniquity that plagues us. He doesn't wait for us to get all dolled up and come to him. No, he steps down into this broken and jacked up world to save us. He did that for you, for me, and everyone outside of these four walls. What gives us the right to keep that kind of love to ourselves? Should we not extend that to others? It is how they, the world, know that he is in us and that we love one another. We extend a hand to one another, help each other, and walk with each other. Paul speaks to the church in Thessalonica, encouraging them to build one another, each other one up, to encourage each other. I like that. I like that idea of building one another up. When I was at camp um, for about seven years of the ten years I was there, I worked maintenance. That was building maintenance, vehicle maintenance, grounds maintenance. And this idea of planning, it requires a plan, or this idea of building, it requires a plan of attack. We don't just build something at a whim. We have to count the costs. We carefully consider what needs to be done to restore something or create something new. By his commandments, his love is made perfect in us. We grab the hand of our brother and sister and we purposefully love. We purposefully encourage, we purposefully and gently restore them in our, in our faith. For those who are not in the light, as we are in the light, we get down in the mess with them. We sacrificially give so that they understand and know the love of Christ. Why? Why do we do this? Because God did the same for us. He sacrificed all he had in the heavenly realm to come and save us out of the mire and muck that we were in. He gave himself. It wasn't just at a whim. He understood what was going on and what he needed to do. We have overcome the world. It leads us to our sixth point. Overcome the evil one. John tells us if we abide in God and God in us, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, victory is ours. So why do we act like we can't 
defeat the world and the evil one around us. Oftentimes, it's because we've forgotten three important things in which Pastor Bob shared with us several weeks ago. We have forgotten that we have a secure position in Christ. We are under the namesake of Jesus. His blood covers us. Our forgiveness is based on him, not us. Our victory against the evil one is based on Christ, not ours. We are righteous. Uh, we are righteous if we walk in him. We walk in the light, and because we do, darkness cannot overcome us. Have you ever realized how difficult it can be to shade ourselves from the sun? We go through great lengths to do so. We wear sunglasses. When we're at the beach, we carry beach umbrellas, hats, window blinds. There are so many things out on the market to help us block it out. But guess what? It's still there. I find it kind of comical that we go through great lengths to cover ourselves and protect ourselves from the light. Yet once darkness hits, we run to turn on every light in the house. It's the first thing we do when we walk into a dark room. We reach for the light switch. We teach our children the importance of light by giving them a night light to give them a peace of mind at night. As long as the light is on, the monster under the bed won't come out. And I know I'm not fooled. I keep a light on at home. And I won't tell you that it's for me to be able to see to get to the restroom in the middle of the night. Yet in our own lives, we neglect to walk in the light. We forget its power. We try to block it out. We try to go at it alone and we fail. We do not rely on the power within us. Remember, if we abide in him, God will abide in us. We have his spirit within us. It's a dynamite power that can reveal truth in the blink of an eye. Why is that important? Let us be reminded of how Christ thwarted the attempts of Satan in the wilderness. It was by the truth of God's word. We have the same power. We have the same truth. We have a relationship with God of the universe, the one that breathed life into our very own nostrils, the one who kicked Satan and his minions from the heavenly realms down to live their lives in this earthly world into the time of their judgment and ultimate demise. That same God is for us. That same God calls us his children and his friends. So why not stay in the light? Why not do the will of God? And that leads us to our seventh point. To do the will of God. Do not keep on sinning. Following the ways of this world leads to death, but following the will of God leads to life. The world is passing away, but guess what? We don't have to go with it. Matthew tells us in his gospel that the way to death and destruction has a wide path, yet the way to life and to the kingdom of heaven is narrow. It's difficult but it's narrow. And do not let that deter you from following it. So far we've seen that we have fellowship. We have others to walk with. And Christ is our example. We have assurance in Christ that he lives within us 
and has overcome the world, and we have a power given to us to defeat the evil one. We have been called and equipped to handle what comes our way. So let me encourage you, don't back down. The wide path seems more comfortable and pleasant, and that's exactly what Satan wants us to believe, that everything is well. We will lead a life, a good life, and nothing bad will ever happen to us. But at the same time, the lies of the evil one blinds us from the death and des destruction that lies ahead. Follow the will, to, will of God. Ever find that sin in our life, the sin in our lives bothers us? Paul in Romans tells us that we do the things we don't want to do, and the things we want to do, we do not do. It's frustrating. Why? Well, simply because we don't want to do it. It is a war waged against us and all around us. It's a decision. It does not happen on its own. We consciously must make an effort to dispel the sin in our lives. Don't give it room. It won't pay rent, and in fact, you will be the one paying for it. It bothers us because we are born of God. We have been made a new creation. We have the indwelling spirit leading us and guiding us. It's not a mistake when we feel guilt and shame. It is telling us to quit it. Stop doing what we hate doing. It makes no sense to allow it to continue if we dread it. Growing up, if something bothered me, I walked away from it. I ran from it. <clears throat> Ever get bothered by a fly or a mosquito? No matter how hard you try, it continues to come back. It nags you and buzzes in your ear. You swipe at it. You swat at it. And just as you think you've got it, it comes back again. But until you kill it or remove it from your space, it will continue. Until you make a conscious effort to remove it, take physical action to stop it, it won't go away. We have, to be given that, we have been given that ability in Christ to walk away from it, to continue in the light as he is in the light. It cannot bother us unless we let it. It leads to our last point. Confess the Son and believe in Jesus. We've come to the crux of the purpose for this letter written by John. It was a secessionist, the Gnostic group working that denied that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They denied the humanity of Jesus and in doing so denied that Christ came to overcome the world from the evil one. The Gnostics believed that anything of the flesh was evil, so why would God come in a form of a human to save us? They argued that for our souls, our spirits to be saved, that which is created in the image of God, that it was a spirit form that would come to be the salvation of mankind. That is not true. You see, God understood that the only way to, be, to redeem his people, to bring his highest form of creation back into a right relationship for him, with him was to provide the ultimate sacrifice to defeat death once and for all. The evil one had no chance against Jesus Christ, and he has no chance. It was the will of the Father for the Son to give himself 
as a payment of redemption for God's people. Christ gave himself willingly, understanding that it was the will of the Father that was above all else and what needed to be done. We have a perfect example of his humanity in this in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in the garden, and yet he pleaded that the cup be removed from him. I enjoyed an illustration that was shared with me a few years ago about this cup in the garden. And it was that Jesus Christ, if you can imagine, was holding a physical cup, sort of like a porcelain mug that you used to drink coffee out of. And this cup, as he looked down in it, when you look into something shiny, you see your reflection in it. But as Christ looked down into that cup and asked his father to remove it from him, he didn't see his reflection. He saw the reflection of me. He saw the reflection of you. He saw the reflection of all mankind. And as he did, he knew and he understood what he had to do. And so he followed and he said, not my will, but your will be done. He took on he took in all the sin and shame of the world on himself. He realized that it was it had to be a sacrificial death. And so he knew no sin <clears throat> and so he who knew no sin became sin in order that we through Christ would become the righteousness of God. There's no other way to abide in God. We must confess and proclaim the name of Jesus. John tells us that we're, we're born of God, and that was the same for Christ, that we must love those who are born of him, including, and more, most importantly, Jesus Christ. If we deny the Son, then we have no life in him. Christ is the reason we walk in the light. Christ is the reason we can love as the Father has loved. Christ is the reason we have a relationship with the creator of the universe. He took our sin payment upon himself that we may have life, life everlasting and a life abundantly. He is our namesake. We cannot be called Christ followers if we do not confess and believe in the God-man, Jesus Christ. To conclude, may I encourage you to look at the things in your life that try and pull you away from the truth that we have been given by God through the Holy Scriptures. What are the things that are vying for your attention? Will you make a stand and keep his truths at the center? It's a daily decision. It is not a one-time pact we make with God, but a lifetime of choosing him over and over again above everything else this world has to offer. Let me encourage you, don't back down. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for this day. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for our sins. Father, and through that, we may walk with you again. Father, that we are declared righteous. Father, that as you look at us, you don't see us, Father, but you see your Son who gave himself as a pardon. 
Father, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy each day. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask and pray all these things. Amen.